please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 5th of August, 2020. It's time for your morning espresso again. Um, as usual, a couple of things to mention before we get going. First of all, we have instantaneous translations. So if you just look below, you'll see a couple of buttons. You can click there and you have the different languages um, and you can select that. Uh, the other thing is if you have questions as a result of the discussion that we have this morning, or indeed general questions, please do drop us a line either through the Q&A button, which again, you'll find below, or you can always send an email to nordiafunds at nordia.com. So this morning, uh, I have Sandra Neff from Capital Four Management in Copenhagen, and he is portfolio manager of uh, European high yield bond strategy and also our new flexible credit strategy. So good morning, Sandro. Good morning, Paul. Hi, how are you? Doing good, good. What about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. It's uh, it's pretty hot down here right now, so I've uh, got my jacket on, but it'll be fine. We'll be good. Um, Sandro, you have been uh, in the European high yield bond market for, for many years, and uh, perhaps some of our, our listeners don't know, but... Um, you know, the, the high yield bond market in Europe really started in the Nordics um, with the, the TMT as it was back then uh, in the 90s. So you were really one of the pioneers in this space. So I just wondered um, if you could just maybe give us a picture of what it was like back in those days. Um, and while we're at it, maybe you can explain to us a little bit how uh, a Swiss guy ends up in Copenhagen having lived in America. Good. Yeah. Well. Well. Thanks. Thanks, Paul, for having me today. And and to your questions, it is uh, interesting that there has been a couple of different clusters in Europe where there are different parts of the high market, you know, um, uh, started. And and the one thing that is for sure, it, it was very very different than it is right now. We, uh, you know, the Nordea European High Yield Fund was started in 2002 in a market where we had a size of about. 30, 40 billion uh, of credits to choose from. Uh, nowadays, we are 10 times the size of that market. So, so it was a very different time. It was a different time from the market, you know, in high yield back then. But it was also a different si at, at, uh, time when it comes to who were the participants in that market. There was a couple of, uh, you know, managers. We were one of them. Uh, what, what we always tried to, you know, uh, do as a team is really focus on bottom of credit selection and and this you know came to the extent you know of us even having our own firm in 2007 where Nordea supported us in building capital for and that was something that I brought a little bit with me from my US experience where during the 80s and 90s there were many high yield boutiques that were started in the US and they did very well and they had very you know, focus and specialized credit cultures, you know, uh, that were, you know, characterizing those firms. And, and I thought Nordea agreed with us that this would be fun to have in Europe as well. And, 
And if that would be well executed, that could kind of thrive well. And you know, now we are around 100 people and, and we're still having fun investing in credit and we're still, still chasing the high yield deals in Europe. <laughs> and it's always fun to come and visit you as well. It's a really nice atmosphere. You've got a great team there and obviously you've done very well over the years. So um, that speaks to you and the rest of the team. So uh, congratulations on, on what you've built and the franchise that you've built. It's, it's fantastic. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about this year because, of course, it's been exceptional in lots of different ways. Um, and, you know, the European high yield market uh, was affected, of course, by uh, the market turbulence that we've seen. And, and, you know, March, we had the big sell off. But actually, as we came into Q2, um, we saw a recovery um, in, in leveraged finance markets, um, you know, with that more optimism and and you know the spread of the coronavirus sort of coming a bit under control in 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 europe i just wondered you know today when you look at the markets how do you feel about the current market levels you know are you comfortable do you think which direction do you think they're going to move what's your feeling right now yeah i think it's actually paul you mentioned something very interesting on on the kind of developments in march this year where we had almost unprecedented velocity in credit sell-off. Uh, and I'm saying that because uh, we, of course, compare current developments always with the past. And, you know, as high-yield investors, this is the third recession that we go through. We had 2001 and 2002. We had 08 and 09. And now we're having 2020. And if you look the, through the you know, fingerprint of the previous two recessions, 2001 and two in particular in Europe was a recession that was developing a horrible default rate experience for the high yield investors in Europe. And in 2008 and nine, you know, it, it was a horrible experience from a, you know, a financial conditions perspective, market liquidity totally dried up. So if you have one recession that has been characterized from heavy defaults and the other one from a close down of the financial system, now, at certain parts in March, we thought both of those, you know, worst cases will meet itself at the same time in the middle of March. Yep. Now, it turned out that, uh, you know, towards the beginning of the April, uh, in, in, investors, you know, realized that this is not going to be an environment with financial conditions that are going to be as bad as 2008. And it's not going to be as bad with respect to default rates at, as 2001 and two. And so, so what we have now grown into is a, um, you know, recovery, so to say, from a higher perspective that is much less pronounced than either of the two last recessions. And you can see that also on page two, you know, of the uh, presentation of this couple of slides we've prepared, how the confidence of the investors into the higher market has come back and, and retail flows both in Europe and in the US you know, has come back into not only credit in general, but also in high yield. You can actually see on the right-hand side on the, on the US market, it's actually been more pronounced in the US. And we actually see that in the last couple of months, US kind of outperforming uh, the European market. In particular, actually in July, we have had uh, quite a bit of that as well. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned there in passing um, about default rate expectations. And uh, we've seen, you know, several banks and, and rating agencies have, have reviewed and updated their, their uh, default rate expectations. 
um, with that trend being more positive, uh, particularly in the high European high yield uh, outlook looking looking brighter than it was before. Um, Perhaps you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you expect uh, this year and also going into next year. Yeah, we have prepared on page three a couple of numbers for the listeners. And, and yeah. I think up front to say uh, it, expectations of the market are that this is much less pronounced, as I mentioned before, than either in 2001 or, two, or even 2008 and nine, uh, which was significantly better than 2001 and two. So, so actually in Europe, we're looking at default rate expectations around 4% in this year and around 3% for the next year. So, which is a cumulative 7% default rate, which is significantly lower than the last two, you know, recessions. Now, in the US, we're having somewhat higher numbers and that has something to do with the sector exposure in the US. We have more oil and commodities and you remember the low oil price, you know, as contributors yeah. in these areas. Uh, but, you know, if, if it, I mean, let's uh, knock on wood, but, you know, the way it looks right now, this is a pretty, uh, you know, manageable kind of, uh, you know, period that we should go through. Yeah, that's a big difference, isn't it, between the US high yield and the European high yield. You, you, you know, you have less of the, the, the oil and commodity type names in in europe versus the us and that's a big defining big difference between the two yes i mean this, of of course uh, uh different markets you know have different type of uh, uh favored industries and you know the one favorite industry can be the liability you know of the next years and and there has been a lot of uh you know, deployment of capital into areas like, uh, you know, uh, oil exploration in the U.S. that the private equity community was very excited about in 2015, 16, and 17 that, you know, has then turned into, you know, credits that are uh, very challenged in the current environment. And, and sometimes it hits one market, sometimes it hits another market. In 2000 and, and one and two and three, you know, the euphoria from the end of 90s on, you know, uh, uh, de developing, you know, broadband infrastructure came to haunt the European high yield, uh, you know, investors. Uh, and, and again, right now, this is uh, an opposite and we have more robustness in the European high yield market. Yeah. So... I think it was last month, a few weeks back, we were talking to the guys from Mackay Shields who, who manage our US high yield strategy. Um, and we were discussing with them the, the, you know, the fallen angels, which is, is a big topic right now. And you know, clients are asking about that right now as well. So um, what, what are you seeing in Europe with regard to fallen angels? Yeah, fallen angels have always been one of uh, our favorite areas, so to say, to fish in to, for opportunities, in particular after a, a recession. And if you do statistical analysis you know, over 20, 30 years, you can actually show that fallen angels have very attractive, you know, sharp ratio risk adjusted returns. Uh, and it has to do, of course, that uh, the, uh, so to say, the selling of fallen angels to investors you know, as they being downgraded from investment grade and have to be absorbed from high yield is a lot less smooth than the selling of LBOs bonds to investors. 
that can yeah. be timed perfectly and prepared you know very well by the owners of those businesses and and it just turns out that you know the timing and the situation of buying these assets is not favorable for the issuer so to say but more favorable for the buyer and unfavor unfavorable for the seller and favorable for the buyer turns out to be a better long-term proposition from a return perspective you know for the investor and so yes you know for us uh, also in 2002 and 3 and in 2009 and 10 you know finances were a, a, a big uh, contributing part to the you know attractive returns coming out of recession and we look at this in the same way uh, through this period. Uh, it, it's, you know, the growth of triple Bs have just been tremendous, you know, in yeah. global credit. And you can do some calculations on downward migration on triple Bs. That gives you a pretty good indication on the supply, you know, in, you know, for the high yield markets out of triple Cs. Now, yeah. uh, you know, in Europe, the high market is about 400 billion in size, and we expect about 100 billion in fallen angel supply in Europe. You know, for wow. 2020. So, in addition to the 400, so in addition to 400, to, so yeah. you have about 25% growth of the market just by supply of triple B downgraded credit, and that's uh, that's huge. And that's that's a very significant you know, uh, supply, and and of course this is fantastic for our investors in you know the Nordea European High Yield Fund, but of course also for the Nordea Flex Credit Fund, where we can kind of deploy money uh, in attractive businesses. Yeah, and do you expect that to continue into next year? There will be some. Uh, it depends, of course, on how the V shape or the Nike shape, the square root shape or whatever shape of recovery <laughs> that we're having. You, you could say from an investor's perspective, you know, we, of course, the, the more drawn out the kind of recovery will be, the better. Now, from a, from a responsibility perspective, I, I, I think we, of course, hold all hope for a V shaped recovery. Uh, but you know the the drawback of V-shaped recovery is you know the opportunity set you know will be somewhat smaller than if we have a U-shape or an L-shape recovery. And and I guess key to what sort of recovery we see will be the central banks and and governments in Europe and and how they continue to <laughs> you know go to the market and support the market. Um, maybe you know we've talked a bit about fallen angels. Perhaps you could just give us uh, your outlook for the sort of broader market now. Yeah, I think when we look at the broader market, it's it's interesting to you know note that as I mentioned in the beginning, the European high market 20 years ago looked very very different than it looks right now. I mean, we have a much bigger high market, but we also have other credit markets that have developed along with the high market. We have a very big leverage loan market. We have a big capital. A bank capital market that has evolved significantly with the different type of structures that we have versus the uh, you know 2006 and seven period. Uh, you know, so so by and large, the credit universe you know, and you can see that actually I've prepared this on page four. The credit universe has you know significantly opened uh, you know and 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 has become more diversified. Let's see if we can get that slide up because you prepared like you said. There's a slide four on. Yeah, I can quickly mention, you know, how that looks like, you know, you can, oh, you can imagine, 
you know, a, 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 a universe that has significantly grown. And uh, uh, with a uh, growing universe, that, that offers, of course, uh, uh, you know, not only for the, uh, uh, the investor a wide range to diversify, but also gives uh, issuers uh, a wider uh, range of uh, access to capital markets. And, and that's actually, that's good, you know, because, you know, bigger access to a diverse set of capital markets for companies increases the uh, uh, chances to get attractive financing for companies. So what I want to say with this is think about the financial crisis that we had in 2008 and 9. Companies that have financed themselves in leveraged loans, you know, which was a much smaller market back then, uh, yeah. could not refinance them with leveraged loans, you know, in 2009 and 10 and 11. But they could access the high yield market and so they had financing alternatives uh, in particular because they would not get any financing from banks. Now, the market right now has gotten even bigger and financing opportunities for companies have become better and better. And, and I think, as I mentioned before, you know, in the beginning, you know, the market has recovered significantly and financial markets are working very well. And that gives us uh, and our clients, of course, access to a wide range of investment opportunities. And, and uh, the one thing that we wanted to talk to you a little bit about today is also is, is how have these markets developed and how has historically these markets performed you know, across different areas in sub-investment grade credit. Yeah. And you, you were mentioning, you know, we're talking here about leveraged loans, we're talking about high yield, and obviously you have a lot of expertise, not just in that high yield space, but also in the leveraged loan space. Uh, bank capital instruments um, and all of this is sort of high conviction ideas that you're bringing to uh, to those different asset classes. I wonder where you see the best credit opportunities right now. Um, if you know we've got a client who's benchmark agnostic, quite happy to to let you make those calls. Um, so where are those opportunities? Where's the sweet spot right now? Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a Good point, Paul. You mentioned that there has been quite a lot of uh, dispersions, you know, in some investment credit and opportunities. And on page five, we have prepared a slide that shows you how big the different returns, uh, how big the differences in returns can be within, you know, some investment grade credit. So you have uh, in like last year, you know, have some asset classes within financials they delivered double-digit returns. And, you know, leveraged loans had actually only a third of the return of bank capital. So at every period, you have some assets that are outperforming other credit assets. And, of course, you can use that if you have the ability to be flexible within your fund. Now, uh, traditionally, of course, uh, uh, funds have focused on the most liquid asset classes. But as some of these classes have become more liquid, there is just a a much uh, wider range of opportunities for investors within sub-investment grade credit. Now, you are absolutely right, Paul. You know, the, the, many of these asset classes require a lot of uh, investments in research capabilities. For example, if you invest in CLO liabilities, you know, you need to buy 
systems and develop tools you know that are quite quantitative yeah. and and we have a couple of uh, mathematicians, statistics, statisticians that that kind of develop tools to kind of being able to find the right you know securities, bank capital. You know you need to have people that are focusing on this type of new times, right? Uh, and and uh, but um, uh, you know if you're an investor, you might want to have uh, exposure to all these different asset classes, but you might might be overwhelmed with the complexity in some of those underlying you know uh, niches. Now. Here's it's the not thing. the easiest market to understand, is it? Let's be honest here. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, well, I'm renovating a house at the moment, and I'm faced with exactly the same challenges. You know, I have a plumber that explains to me how complicated it is to kind of pull the pipes into, uh, you know, the, the the floor, and and the carpenter that is complaining about the challenges of fixing some of the roof construction, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if I wouldn't be uh, uh, supported by a smart architect and a, and a very hardworking entrepreneur that coordinates all these different, uh, you know, um, specialists, I would be lost. And yeah. it's a little bit the same on what we do in flexible credit. You know, we have, I mean, when you come to us, we have specialist teams. You know, we have carpenters, we have plumbers, we have, you know, uh, uh, the, the specialists for the flooring and 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 we have architects you know that kind of put the individual pieces together in the right way so people can buy the house they don't have to go and assemble the different bits and pieces together and that, and, and that has actually been quite popular with many of our investors they get access to a diversified portfolio but they don't have to uh, put the pieces together themselves they have one stop solution with someone who has the expertise in all the different you know sectors of the of the credit market yeah it makes sense and i mean it makes sense as well what you were saying before about you know as the market matures you, you get more depth in the market uh, the market broadens and you know having been there from the beginning you've grown with that and you've expanded the team and the and the knowledge and the expertise which brings us to the point where we can offer that expertise to our clients uh in a format that perhaps five years ago wasn't possible because the markets wouldn't allow that got you yes yeah and i mean it's very it's, sometimes it's very simple things you know there seems to be quite a a, a strong um, mean reversion between those sub subsectors and also one of our young people has done a back test of it, always investing in the worst uh, two sectors of the previous year that would outperform hugely you know then you know owning everything of the you know equally weighted across you know the universe so so there are some things you can do by kind of finding relative value across the different assets you know, that give you extra return uh, by being able to allocate to the different parts in the credit universe. And, and you know, I think high yield and in particular, uh, and uh, all of these other instruments as well, of course, it's, it's very important to have an active manager in this space because, again, we were talking with the Mackay Shields guys, you know, lose, winning by not losing is their little thing. Um, you have to avoid those hand grenades. You have to steer away from the stuff that's going to blow up uh, and and stay on a sort of safe course. And to do that, you really do need active management, um, as well as like you're saying now with the flexible credit, 
that asset allocation call across the different tools and instruments that are now available to you. Yes. Yeah. What was interesting to see was actually this year, um, we saw a lot of flows in, in passives uh, in, into uh, ETFs. Actually, the, the Nordea fund that, that you run for us um, was one of the few that actually attracted uh, assets uh, in, in the active space. So um, that, was, that was great to see. Good. Right. So I think we're time wise, we, we probably should come to the, uh, the conclusions and our takeaways. Uh, again, we always have a slide here just to, to run through the various points. Feel free to step in if you'd like to add anything. Um, but we talked at the beginning um, about this rebound that we've seen in, in Q2, um, that spread compression um, has, has moved again. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a bit more optimistic now than we were perhaps in the depths of March when uh, things look quite dire. But um, recent default estimates seem to suggest that, you know, there's a positive backdrop. And you were talking as well about previous expected, uh, previous um, cases in the in the market where you know we've we've had these drawdowns but the defaults perhaps uh, the estimates not so bad this time around then as we were just talking there at the end the flexibility to invest in in credit asset class, classes beyond the traditional high yield can be another way to to navigate these markets and um, of course this is part of the reason why we launched the uh, the flexible credit strategy um, and then finally, uh, this holistic allocation to the broader universe um, can vary. And uh, like you were saying, you know, some can underperform and then the next year they're, they're the top performers. So um, it's important to be able to, to play the different uh, asset classes um, as time goes on and, and shift that allocation. Do you, is that, does that yeah, sound I have, good? I have yeah? one more addition and, and a verse. I, Thanks, Paul, again for having me. I think that was a, a yeah, pleasure. <laughs> I, I have one last thing to add here is, is often investors, of course, ask us, well, but how about in the next five or 10 or 15 or 20 years? What, what will sub-investment grade do? Isn't it a better world if everything is going to be investment grade? And now in order to kind of understand that and think about that, you have to realize that there is a very, very powerful you know, thing going on with uh, the uh, growth of the private, you know, company market, which is fueled by, you know, private equity. And, and you know, these are companies with more concentrated ownership, with highly motivated teams running these companies and employees. And that has been over the last 20, 30 years, you know, a, a consistently growing, you know, uh, market. And we see, I, I, so far, I haven't met any pension fund in this world that says they want to invest less in alternative assets. So with the growth and the increasing popularity of the alternative asset class space, you know, we will have the, the, the supporting element that, you know, and financing of these type of uh, companies continue to grow. So, so we are very optimistic about the next five, 10 years that there will be continued investment opportunities in the growing market, you know, for the type of credit we're investing in. That sounds promising. Look, look forward to uh, watch that one play out. Very good. Well, Excellent. thanks a lot, Paul. And thanks everyone for listening in. That's a pleasure. Thank you very much again, Sandro. Um, next week, 
it's the 12th of August. Uh, we will be sticking with fixed income. We will be staying in Europe, but we will be talking about European covered bonds. Um, and we'll be talking to Henrik Stiller, who is the lead portfolio manager on our European covered bond strategy. So um, tune in for that next week. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert website. You'll find that um, at nordia.lu. And on that page, you'll have all of the previous interviews that we've done. You'll have Q&As and also uh, podcasts. And uh, we will be posting this, uh, this live update as well um, in the next few days. So that will be added to that microsite. That's it for now. I look forward to speaking to you next week.